0: Turn our attention to Psalm 98 now. Today, again, is the third Sunday of Advent. And uh, like we said before, Advent is the season of anticipating the arrival of Christ, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And uh, as I said last Sunday, we experience the anticipation of Advent in a couple of ways. On the one hand, we symbolically enter into the longing of the people of God who are awaiting Christ's first coming, but then also we experience a very real and literal longing for Christ's second coming. We are still in waiting. We are still waiting for the Messiah to come again uh, and to, to, to bring a fulfillment to all things. Well, whether we're talking about the first coming of Christ or the second coming of Christ, there are really two sides of the coin of that anticipation, two different ways we can think about that longing. On the one hand, there is the groaning of waiting. The groaning of waiting is what we saw in Psalm 89 last week. Where is your steadfast love? Uh, the, The groaning of waiting asks questions like, how long, O Lord? The groaning of waiting meditates on the brokenness of the world, how things are not right, the the dissatisfaction and the tension that exists in this present moment. Well, the groaning of waiting is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the excitement of what's to come. Uh, The excitement of what's to come meditates on how thrilling and satisfying it's going to be when Christ does come. The excitement of what's to come says things like, come Lord Jesus. And the excitement of what's to come is what's in view in Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is another Advent psalm, and in fact, you don't get much more Advent than Psalm 98. It is explicitly about the coming of the Lord. And so with that in mind, let's read Psalm 98, and since these words are breathed out by God and come with the authority of Jesus Christ, will you please stand with me, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's word. The Holy Spirit says, a psalm, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. With the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness, and the peoples with equity. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, the Christmas season, whether you're a Christian or not, the Christmas season is a season of excitement and anticipation. Uh, Maybe it's excitement for Santa, excitement for presents, uh, maybe it's excitement about seeing loved ones that you haven't seen in a while, maybe it's excitements for a few days off from work, a few days off from school. In any case, for everybody, a, a Christmas season is a season of excitement. But what is there to be excited about on Tuesday, January third? <laughs> is there a more depressing day on the calendar? Unless it's your birthday, in which case, happy, it's your anniversary. What a great, joyous day. Everyone celebrate the Gresham's anniversary on January 3rd. Uh, We'll go Wednesday, January 4th. Anybody? (laughs) Is there... (laughs) (laughs) Point being, when there's no more holidays, no more festivities, no more decorations, the decorations come down, you go back to work... It's cold, seems colder now that the Christmas decorations aren't up for some reason. You know, we, we spend so much time getting excited about things that are fun and enjoyable, uh, but that don't last. Well, one of the reasons that the Advent season is such a help is that it directs our hearts to a lasting excitement. Excitement. Not just one day on the calendar, not just one party that comes, not just one season of decorations, but an eternity of excitement. And Advent is meant to to put fuel on the fire of our longing for that day, our excitement for that day. And our text today is especially helpful in this regard. Psalm 98 is a call to worship. Psalm 98 is a, a call to rejoice. It's a call to look forward to a day that will never end. It's a call to get excited about the greatest source of joy our hearts will ever know. The message of Psalm 98, God's message to us is this. Rejoice that Christ will come to save and to judge. Rejoice that Christ will come to save and judge. We're going to see three elements of this rejoicing that Psalm 98 calls us to. First, rejoice in Christ's coming to save. Rejoice in Christ's coming to save. When God does a mighty work of salvation, he deserves the joyous praise of his people. We see this in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Yahweh deserves a new song. Why a new song? Because he will have done a new work of salvation. A new work of salvation deserves a new song of joy. When Jesus returns to bring final salvation to his people, it will be the culmination of all of God's work throughout history. This is a reason to sing a new song. Uh, Yahweh works salvation, notice, by his right hand. When it comes to salvation, God does not collaborate. On that day when we see the final salvation of God we will have no doubt in our mind it was God alone who gets the credit for salvation. Uh, Notice also that the salvation Yahweh works is for who? For Him. It's for God. When God saves, the end goal is not only the salvation of the people that He saves, He saves, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so it's fitting that his people sing a new song to him for his work of salvation. The Apostle John got to hear a new song, very much like the new song of Psalm 98 in Revelation 14. Leave one finger in Psalm 98 and turn with me to Revelation 14. So Psalm 98, as we've seen, is a call for worship, a call for praise to God because of his salvation of his people at the time that he comes to bring final judgment to the earth. Well, Revelation 14 also anticipates that final judgment, but look at how the chapter begins in verses 1 through 3. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So on that day that Christ comes to judge mankind, the people who belong to Christ will have a new song in their mouths that no one else knows because they know it because they have been redeemed from mankind. They have been forgiven of their sins. They are rejoicing in the fact that as Christ comes to judge the world, he is coming to save them. If we are in Christ, we can rejoice today because on the final day, we will not be singing a dirge of lament. We will be singing a joy-filled new song because the Lamb who was slain will save us once and for all from the very presence of sin. If we've trusted in Christ today, He has already saved us from the penalty of sin. If we trust in Christ today, He is presently saving us from the power of sin in our lives. But on that day, when Christ returns, we will sing a new song because he will save us from the very presence of sin in us and around us. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Well, turn back with me to Psalm 98. Let's look at verse 2. In verse 2, we see that Yahweh's salvation puts his glory on display. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. When Jesus comes, it will not be private. It will be unmistakable. It will be known. It will be visible. It will be world-shaking. But this promise that the Lord will make his salvation known was fulfilled in part even at Jesus' first coming. In Luke 2, we meet a man named Simeon, who was a man of Advent, a man who was anticipating, longing for the advent of the Messiah, the arrival or the, the consolation of Israel, as Luke 2 says. And Simeon, before he died, got to hold the Christ child in his arms, and he said this in Luke 2, 29 to 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the nations, and for glory to your people, Israel. Yahweh's salvation puts his glory on display for all to see. When God saves his people, he reveals himself. He reveals something of his character. And the psalmist in Psalm 98 specifically mentions that Yahweh's final salvation will reveal his righteousness. He's revealed his righteousness, he says. And he says the nations will see the righteousness of God because on that day he will make everything right. He will right every wrong. And when he does, his righteousness will be on display for all the world to see. One aspect of that is that he will avenge injustice against his people. That's what we're going to see in the final judgment when Jesus comes. When John sees God's wrath poured out on the earth, In Revelation 16, he says this in verses five through seven. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just righteous are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just, righteous are your judgments. On that day, God will reveal his righteousness in the sight of the nations when he saves his people and he avenges their blood. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations Prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And verse 3 of Psalm 98 emphasizes how when Yahweh saves, he will indeed prove the wonders of his love. He says, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Christ's second coming will be the fulfillment of all of God's promises, but consider just how the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, will specifically be keeping the promises that he made to Abraham and the nation that came from him and Abraham's offspring. On that final day, God's salvation of his people will be the fulfillment of promises that he made long ago, like in Genesis 22, where he promised, Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So in making these promises and this covenant with Abraham, God set his steadfast love, his covenant-keeping love on Abraham and his offspring. He promised to bless people from all nations through Abraham's offspring. And we know from uh, Paul and Galatians that that offspring uh, is Christ. It's Jesus. And all the ends of the earth, would see God's salvation through Abraham's offspring. That's not just a word in Psalm 98. It's something that God promised Abraham all the way back from the beginning of the nation of Israel. And the people of God in Jesus' day recognized that in the coming of Christ, that was God remembering his steadfast love, keeping his covenant to Abraham, remembering his faithfulness to the house of Israel, when Mary was told she would give birth to Christ, we read this in the call to worship at the beginning of the service. She said, he has helped, talking about the, the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ. He has helped, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Indeed, God remembers his steadfast love to Abraham and All who are blessed through him in the coming of Christ. The first coming and the second coming. When Christ comes again, not only will the nations see God's blessing of salvation, they will get to be in on it as God promised Abraham. He promised Abraham not only that the nations would see how he blesses his offspring, he says through you will all the families of the earth Be blessed. The Apostle John got to see a vision of what that final celebration, uh, that final salvation celebrated in Psalm 98, is going to look like. In Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, John sees this final salvation celebrated in Psalm 98 before his very eyes. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God promised, he promised eternal blessing to all who trust in the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And on that final day, when he saves people from every nation, they will declare with Psalm 98, you remembered. You remembered your promise. You remembered your steadfast love. You did what you said you would do. Rejoice today in Christ's coming to save. If you are wrestling with sin today, you have reason to rejoice. Because when christ returns he will save you from the very presence of sin if you are treated unjustly today you have reason to rejoice because when christ comes he will right every wrong against you if you are struggling with assurance of salvation today you can rejoice because when christ comes he will remember his steadfast love toward you. Rejoice in Christ's coming to save. Second element of the rejoicing of Psalm 98 is this: rejoice with everything you have. Rejoice with everything you have. God's final salvation. The judgment of Christ, the fulfillment of his promises, the fullness of the kingdom of God, all of these things that are going to happen on that final day when the Lord comes, they deserve the highest praise with the most exuberant joy. Look at verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. All the earth, the whole earth should sing a joyful noise to Yahweh. Now, the name Yahweh is God's personal name. It's a name that he revealed to his covenant people. It's a name that identifies him as their God, the God of Israel. But, as we've already seen, it's not just that one nation whose God is Yahweh that is impacted by God's final salvation, Even from the moment that God made his first promises to Abraham, he had all the nations in view. And on that final day, the whole earth will be impacted and the whole earth should rejoice that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has come to save. The whole planet should break out in joy-filled songs of praise to Yahweh because his salvation is for people from every nation under heaven. Yahweh is worthy of our singing and he's worthy of our playing. Look at verse five. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. Yes, we should sing His praises. We should also play instruments. we should make music. We, we should give it all. Give everything in praise to the God, who? saves. He is worthy of cranking up to 11 the joy in our hearts, the joy in our song, everything we have. There is not something we will ever celebrate more. There is no event that will top the coming of the Lord. There is nothing to get more excited about. Whatever you have in your arsenal of rejoicing, this is the time for it. Don't save it. Don't save it for another occasion. This is it. This is what we have to rejoice in more than anything else that has ever happened in the world and will ever happen. This is what we've all been waiting for. And the psalmist calls for a joyful noise in response. Uh, He he calls for a joyful noise on the trumpet in verse 6. He says, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Uh, Now, trumpets uh, play a role in in a lot of places in Scripture. One that I would uh, highlight is in Numbers 10. Uh, Yahweh gave Israel instructions to make two silver trumpets. And they weren't just used uh, just for for music to to listen to or to accompany uh, singing. They were used to to get people's attention. Uh, They were used to assemble the congregation of Israel Uh, They were to blow these trumpets when they went to war with their oppressors so that Yahweh would remember them and save them from their enemies. Uh, These same trumpets, they were to blow at their feasts and celebrations, uh, events like Passover and Pentecost. They were to blow these as a, a way to remind them that Yahweh was their God. We see in verse 6 here that Yahweh is called the king of his people. And, And on that final day, when he has saved his people from their enemies, he deserves the joyful noise and celebration that his people may remember that he is their God. But we shouldn't wait for the final day to praise God for his final salvation, even though it hasn't happened yet. We shouldn't wait for the final day to praise him for his final salvation. We should praise God today for the salvation that he will bring on that day. We should praise in anticipation of his salvation. We should praise in hope, trusting confidently that he will keep his promise, that Christ will come, that that day will arrive. Do you rejoice In the Lord, do you rejoice in Christ? And if so, does your rejoicing match the magnitude of who Christ is, what he's done, and what he's going to do? Do you hold back in your rejoicing in Christ? Does your singing sound like the joyful praise fitting of the king who will reign forever? Or does your singing sound more like the reluctant song of religious obligation? When people hear you talk about Jesus, what do they hear? Do you sound like you're talking about the one who is going to come and fix All the brokenness that creation has ever known? Or do you just sound like you're kind of talking about a cute little story for kids? Do you even talk about Jesus at all? Well, if you find that your rejoicing doesn't quite live up to what Christ is worthy of, the answer is not sing more. Talk better. That's not the answer. No, first, we have to examine our hearts. Because if we have half hearted singing or unworthy words coming out of our mouth, we need to recognize they didn't start in our mouth, they're coming out of the overflow of our hearts. Ask yourself if You're not as excited about Jesus coming back as as a scripture would, would have you. Ask, why? Why am I not more excited about Jesus coming back? Why is this not the most exciting thing to me? Maybe it's because I love the world too much, this world. And maybe it's because I just honestly haven't spent much time meditating on why it's going to be so great when Jesus comes back pray. Ask God for grace. Ask God to to forgive you of maybe your your lack of excitement, but ask God to change your heart. Ask God to put in you a a joy at Christ's coming. And fuel your heart with scripture about Christ's second coming. And and by the way, if, if you need help, next year we're going to have a couple of opportunities for you to fuel your longing for Jesus' coming. Uh, and we'll talk more about those in the coming weeks, but just stay tuned if you are wanting some fuel for your longing for Christ to come. But even if you truly are excited about Christ's return, even if you truly appreciate the significance of what it means that Jesus is going to come back, and even if you desire to give Christ all the rejoicing that he deserves, you're still going to find that your rejoicing doesn't live up to what Christ is really worthy of. And that's when we need to remember what Peter teaches us in 1 Peter 2.5. He says that our Spiritual sacrifices, our worship, our lives that we live for him, our songs, everything that we offer to God as worship, those spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we don't have to make our offerings acceptable. By the grace of God, even when the highest praise we can offer and the most exuberant joy we can muster doesn't still live up to the magnitude of what Christ is worthy of, God still receives that and accepts that through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And our Savior, who is that kind, is worthy of rejoicing in with everything we have. Rejoice with everything you have. Finally, rejoice in Christ's coming to judge. Rejoice in Christ's coming to judge. As the psalmist continues in verse 7, we see that the Lord is worthy not only of the praise of humans, but the praise of all creation. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. So the psalmist pictures the sea roaring in praise to Yahweh, along with everything that lives in the sea. Uh, The psalmist also calls on all creatures in the world to join in this roar of worship. And he goes on in verse eight to call for more of creation to praise Yahweh. He says, "Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together." Uh, so The psalmist pictures even nature singing and rejoicing, even as men, their songs employ, field and flood, rocks, hills and plains repeat. The sounding joy. Why? Verse 9. Before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. We saw earlier in verse 2 that when Christ comes to save his people, he will judge the enemies of his people. And in so doing, he reveals his righteousness, and he reveals his righteousness to all of creation. But what we see here as the rivers are clapping their hands, and the hills are singing for joy because the Lord is coming to judge the earth, what we need to recognize is not only Is God going to just make right all the wrongs committed against his people? He is going to right every wrong. He is not only going to make right the wrongs at a human level. When he brings us final salvation, he will right, he will correct everything that's wrong with creation. All of the brokenness that this world experiences. All of the, the corruption of sin that exists in nature. Paul says in Romans 8, 19 through 21, that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in a hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Today, creation groans under the curse of human sin. But on that day, God's judgment will finally bring the groaning of creation and the brokenness of the world to an end. No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Yahweh will judge the earth. And the Bible tells us that he has appointed Christ Jesus to be the one to execute his judgment when he comes. Christ will come and he will judge all people every single human being who has ever lived, and he will judge with perfect righteousness. John, again, pictures this in Revelation 20. Turn with me there. Revelation 20. Look with me at uh, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Into the lake of fire. For those who have not trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that day that the Lord comes will not be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of mourning because they will be judged according to what they have done. And when their record reveals that they have sinned against Almighty God, They will be doomed to everlasting condemnation. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that day will be a day of pure joy. Because although we have sinned against God just as much as the rest of humanity, we will not be condemned. We will not be condemned by Jesus at his second coming because Jesus was condemned for us at his first coming. The one who will judge the world with righteousness on the last day came first to be judged for the world. Our king took our record of sin on himself and died in our If we trust in his death to save us from our sin, we will receive his salvation. And not only that, when we trust in Jesus, uh, not only does he take our record of sin on himself, but we receive his perfect record of righteousness. So on that day, when Christ judges the world in righteousness, he will judge us righteously. But we don't have to be afraid because He will judge us as pure and blameless in his sight. If you're still in Revelation, just look at the passage that immediately follows the one that we just read. For the people of God, here is what we have to look forward to when Christ comes to judge. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is reason to rejoice. When the Lord Jesus comes to judge the earth with righteousness, he will save us from the presence of sin. He will right every wrong against us. He will fulfill all of his promises He will heal all of the brokenness of creation, and he will dwell with us forever. So you need to ask yourself, if the Lord Jesus returned today, for me, would it be a day of mourning or a day of rejoicing? Would you be judged as righteous because you've received the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Or would you be condemned because you have not yet trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins against God? That day can be a day of rejoicing for you if you place your faith in Jesus. That day can be a day of joy if today you you put your faith in Jesus. You don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. All you have to do is acknowledge that you have sinned against God and and turn away from sin. Turn away from trusting in yourself and, and turn to Jesus in faith. Turn to him to save you from your sins. Trust him to forgive you of your sins. Trust him as the Lord of your life. If you trust in Jesus, today can be a day of rejoicing for you. And the Bible promises a day of rejoicing in heaven. Let every heart prepare him room. What if this Christmas we teach our kids to get more excited about Jesus coming than about Santa or presents. What if this Christmas we get as excited about God dwelling with man as we do about going to grandma's house? What if this Christmas we get so excited about Jesus coming back that we're actually excited to go back to work and to school. And we're excited for someone to say on Tuesday, January 3rd or Wednesday, January 4th, how was your Christmas? Because then we get to say, it was amazing. God used it to teach me to get excited that Jesus is coming back. May our hearts rejoice that Christ Is coming to save and to judge. Today we get to rejoice in Christ's second coming by taking the Lord's Supper. Now, first and foremost, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of Christ's first coming uh, to die as a substitute for sinners. Jesus commanded his disciples to observe the Lord's Supper to remember how he died to forgive sins. But we also eat and drink the Lord's Supper to anticipate Christ's second coming. In Matthew 26:29, Jesus told his disciples at the last supper, "I tell you, I will not drink again of the of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we have an eye toward Christ's second coming. We get to participate today in this uh, Lord's Supper. And this is a sacred time at the Lord's table. And this sacred time is for those who have trusted in Christ, for believers who have placed all of their hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So if you're not yet a believer, we would ask you to refrain from partaking of the elements until you come to faith in Christ. And and when you do trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we will joyfully invite you uh, to uh, to, to, to be a part of this table and to partake along with the body of Christ. Uh, We encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is harboring unrepentant sin, uh, we would ask that you refrain until you're able to come freely to partake of the Lord's table. Uh, But if you are a, a member of the body of Christ, this table is for you. Uh, It's not just a meal for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. So, if you're a baptized member of a gospel preaching church in good standing, we would invite you to partake in the Lord's table with us. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and we'll sing a song as uh, we we receive the elements. And uh, during that time, as you're ready, you can can come to the front and receive the elements, and we just ask that you take them back to your seats and wait, and uh, we'll all partake together after everyone's been served, and after the song is over. Uh, so let's all uh, uh, bow together and let's pray as we enter this time at the Lord's table. Father, Lord, we bow our heads now to remember how Christ bowed his head, gave up his spirit, and died as a human that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. We bow In reverence, we bow in awe and in adoration for who Christ is, what he has said, what he has done. And Lord, we just ask that as we worship you in this way, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. Uh, Lord, that even as we anticipate the fullness of Christ's presence with us in your kingdom on that day, I pray that we would experience the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit now that we would bring you honor, our God, and in this moment would bring genuine comfort to our souls as we remember in this bread and in this cup that, Lord, we don't bring anything to the table. Christ has already done it all. We come to the table with sin. We come to the table with brokenness. We come to the table as failures, as poor and needy, and we come to it.